This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. I don't know if you had a chance to see this story yet, but this story spoke so much to me about, uh, and if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 12 here in a moment. Um, but this is a story of a family that just went free this week. This is, uh, since we're live streaming, I'm just going to call, the, this is Steve and Rebecca, just because the, the live stream purposes. But uh, 29 years old, born a slave. Parents were slaves. He gets married to Rebecca, and as they're having children, they can't afford to give birth, so she's having to do C-sections, 200 bucks per C-section. So before long, she's at four babies now, $800 for C-sections, and no money to get out. The, uh, the cool thing, by the way, which I figured out uh, as we were looking at it, I'm like, wait, that name sounds really familiar, and here's why, because Steve's parents uh, were already released. We, we released them already. Uh, so, yeah, right? Like, oh, I remember them. And I'm not sure, I have, I have permission, but the family that helped, it might even be here this morning, so thank you for that. Uh, but we're going back and getting their kids out. So, uh, and it was getting pretty intense over there. Steve um, has a sister who had been, I know there's children here, but had been, been treated poorly by other men in the kiln. And so he did what any brother would do, uh, which is to go and open up a can, you know what I'm saying? And, but he got, you know, it didn't go as well as he'd wanted. He got his arm broken, which, so now his wife with the C-section, he's got a broken arm, and his kiln owner had no mercy. They're still making bricks. The, the, the quotas were still there. It was not looking great for this family at all. Uh, their total debt, by the way, was $2,300, um, and you guys made it happen and they are 100% free. And we threw in an extra few hundred dollars so we could buy him um, a rickshaw to do business. And I'm thinking, what does a guy got to do to get a rickshaw? Like, I'd like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Shindelsky, you see me driving the sh- like, uh, like, plots like my rickshaw around the neighborhood. I mean, you guys all got your golf carts and Darren's in his rickshaw. Anyway. My birthday's coming up, just so you know. Um, but he, uh, he, we, we bought him his rickshaw, so he's actually open for business and is serving uh, the Lord in that. Now, now, I share that because in the story that the pastor shared with us, here is a young man who had been shown no mercy from his master. None. And this is, I think, day three of freedom, so it's, it's evening in Asia, and so tomorrow morning, he's gonna wake up on day four of being free. Now, his body is free. His body does not have to make any more bricks, but his mind, after 29 years of being a slave, is gonna need some renewing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, he's free, but there are some things that are just wound into his mind that have gotta be Renewed, And with that in mind, I want to read to you Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, if you've got your Bibles with you or your magic phone Bibles. I used to get super wound up, you know, the Bible, you got to have the, 
you know, actual paper or whatever. And then it hit me, like, if I'm so concerned about the, the method, I, I should get scrolls, actually. I should get stones, out, you know what I'm saying? So if I'm that wound up about the original, give me a couple of tablets and a chisel. And anyway, so I, I, I'm less wound up about that as I used to be. Romans 12, verse 1. Keeping in mind what I just said about a slave who had a master with no mercy, who is now, his body is free, but his brain, his mind is going to take some catching up. His brain is going to need to be renewed to his new situation. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy. Steve and Rebecca, somebody paid a debt for them, had mercy on them, a debt they couldn't pay. In view of that mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And we're just going to stop with those three verses this week. Uh, and we've read God's word. Let's pray that he'll bless that for us. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, let us approach it with expectation. Let us approach it with um, humility. But, Lord, let us approach it with obedience and the desire to move from our heads into our hearts that the process of our own minds being renewed could happen even today in our own midst. Lord, we are so blessed to live in a country, to live in a city like we do. We're blessed to live in a city where, like right now, other churches are just meeting and glorifying and lifting up you across the street at Graceland. Nathan, they're just lifting your name high, Lord. We pray your blessings on that church I pray your blessings on Harpeth Christian Church and Bobby and everything that you're doing there, Lord. At New River with Keith, Lord, would you bless what they're doing there, Lord, with our brothers and sisters at Grace Chapel. Would you be with them today? Lord, would you bless what's happening there? Would you bring your spirit of healing and peace into their world? And for Every church in this area, Lord, that's lifting up your name, Mark Rampolet, Southview Church, Lord, you're everywhere in this community, your name is being lifted up, and we believe that you will draw all men unto you. We don't have to do that. Our job is to do the lifting. Your job is to do the drawing, and that is what we pray that happens this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, one of the um, regrets that I have as a 50-year-old uh, Christian was how I started out and how long I went with pretending and uh, hiding, uh, fronting as a Christian, pretending that I was somebody that I wasn't. I don't know if anybody ever did that before. You were at a church and so you kind of had your mask on because I had to behave a specific way here. You know, I mean, and, and by the way, for the most part, like in the churches I was around, nobody ever told me to do that. You know, I would just pick up on something. I just knew that, like the pastor that I had, he was like, I knew he was just kicking butt and taking names with Satan, you know, just dominating. And I was like, okay, well, that's not how my life is really going right now. So I'm going to need to act like that's how my life is going right now because I know that's how I could be accepted and loved here. Nobody said that to me, but that's what I deduced from that. 
And what I was learning, without knowing I was learning it, was I was living as if I had a master who was cruel. Because what do you think when Steve, like, when his master is coming, he's, he's a cruel master. He's a harsh master. So he's going to not tell anybody he made any mistakes when he's making bricks. He's going to hide when the master is coming because he doesn't want to get yelled at. That's, that's the way that he was living because that was his life as a slave. In his new life as a free person, some of that stuff is still going to be wiring around in his brain. But in our life of religion, right, that's how we can live our lives as Christians is that we don't, we just pretend and we front because we're actually serving the wrong master. We've been set completely free, but our mind still thinks we're serving a master that's mean and cruel. And so it actually puts us as, even as a church, one of the most dangerous things we could be as a church is a church where people don't feel comfortable to come and just be honest about where you are with God. Because you're afraid you're going to get shut out. You're afraid that I'm going to be positioned here. I spent way too much of my life doing that. And when we started Conduit, I used to joke, but it was kind of true. Like, I just don't want to grow old in a church that I hate. You know? And, I, and I'm leading this thing, so it's kind of my fault if that's where we end up, right? So it's kind of on me. But part of what I wanted it to be just for me was that the Darren that you encounter on a Sunday is the Darren that you'll encounter on a Monday. You know? The good, the bad, the ugly. You know, my wife doesn't have to keep the list as much anymore, but in the early days, we did have to do something. She had to keep a list of words that I wasn't allowed to say next week. Do you know what I mean? I mean... And in fact, I mean, as a rock and roll manager on a Friday and on a Sunday, I'm a pastor. So there, God had some work to do and redeeming my mouth was one of those things. And it's a, obviously a journey uh, <laughs> process. I actually, believe it or not, March uh, 2020, I was like, okay, this, I'm, you know, God's working on this part of my life and on this part of my life. And, and in 2020, that was when God was going to work on my mouth. And then the pandemic happened. And I'm like, well, <laughs> let's, let's postpone this until we get another side of that. <laughs> So I had to get a, we had to get a prior written permission from the elders for emergency language use um, for me. But we, the point was, I had to pretend a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it's not on the one hand, I'm saying, I just want to live however I want to live and just no accountability, whatever. But on the other hand, I want to be able to say that, hey, this is how my life went this week. And you to be able to say that as well. And for us to not cast each other out, but to welcome each other in as, in ways of you know, to make each other better, not to shame each other and shun each other out. What a great way for churches to be, right? And Romans 12, it's, we just went through 11 chapters of the gospel, right? We went through 11 chapters of the amazing idea of righteousness by grace, by faith. 11 chapters, and so Romans 12 changes and now it's like if all that's true this is how your life is going to look and it's going to look amazing and these first three verses of Romans 12 we can't even get out of three verses because we see that literally God's mercy in view of God's mercy chapters 1 through 11 if God's mercy is so real we're going to experience God's pleasure which is in verse end of verse 1 into verse 2 and in God's pleasure, you walk right into God's will, which is verse 3. And it breaks down so perfectly and beautifully that God's mercy, God's pleasure, 
and God's will are all for you, not against you. What I mean by God's mercy, he says it in verse one, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, like just right there, in view of God's mercy. We live in a world right now that is ruthless. Mercy, I mean, look, we all know the great Cobra Kai. Mercy is for the weak. I learned that in 1988, right after I got my ear pierced because Ralph Macchio. I wish I were kidding, actually. That was a true story, 100% how I negotiated with my parents. Well, Ralph Macchio got his hair. Anyway, karate kid. Um, mercy's for the weak, which is exactly the culture of this world. I mean, that's scientific record. If, if you subscribe to evolution as it's taught, it's not mercy for the weakest, it's survival of the fittest. Mercy is for the weak. Don't, don't show mercy to them. You're not going to be the fittest if you start showing mercy. And we all know that religion embraces that extremely and extraordinarily well. If you've ever been around any sort of a, a very religious, very religious world, you know if I say this wrong or do that wrong, I'm going to be shunned. I'm going to be cast out. I'm going to, whether it's a formal policy or whether it's just we all know it's the unwritten rule. It's just religion. And by the way, that's not unique to a Christian form of religion. Islam, man, they, they, they rock that one. In, in the Islamic world, you can be shunned immediately for uh, misbehaving, for, for doing things wrong. You get you're shunned with it. And by the way, not only in that world, but if you're a, we just talked about Asia here, these are Christians that we have set free in these kilns. In this country in particular, they have something called blasphemy laws. And a blasphemy law says that if I'm a Christian and I have a Muslim neighbor and we have a, like say there's a dispute about our fence line and we got like a Muslim Karen and she's yelling and she, um, what, what Karen, do, all due respect to Karens, God bless you guys, it's not your fault. Do you know what I'm saying? My name's Darren, I am one consonant away, so I, I'm with you. But, but they don't just yell at you and get on YouTube, they actually can take you to court and accuse you of something about like insulting the Koran. They can accuse you, falsely I might add, of trying to convert them to Christianity, but you've got to go into court. I have a friend who was a lawyer, and this is his only job in this country, is defending Christians who were falsely accused of blasphemy laws. That's no mercy, that's vengeance. Now that sounds great, that's all the way over in another country, but you know, it may not be religion, but in our country, our culture is merciless. Cancel culture, we've said enough about that. But you know that in many large corporate settings right now, uh, and by the way, every country has blasphemy laws and you know what they are by what you are and not allowed to say. And in our country, a Christian working at a major corporation, whether it's a tech company or whatever, if you say that you're a Christian and you offend one of your coworkers, you accidentally call them the wrong pronoun, 
If you say something just a little bit off, they can take you and accuse you to HR. You've got to go through a whole trial. You could lose your job because the blasphemy laws of our culture are also merciless. There's no mercy in it. That's why when he says here, it's not in view of the world's mercy, not in view of culture's mercy, not in view of science's mercy, in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. No longer a slave. Tomorrow morning, Steve's going to wake up and offer his body to his rickshaw, offer his body to his family. He doesn't have to offer it to a brick kiln slave master anymore. You, brothers and sisters, who have been set free in Christ, do not have to offer your bodies to anything but God. And here's why that, here's why that matters. He says the word present here. Present your bodies. And in the last year, one of the things that I've challenged myself on a lot as a father, and I'd give myself 50-50, Shannon might give it more 60-40, not in the right direction, is to be present when I'm with my family. Is anybody working on this in your own life with your own family? Be present. Wherever you are, be all there. John Mark Comer's books, I mean, he just convicts the heck out of me. I'm like, oh, I don't want to read this. That's going to convict me. Be present. But if you put the emphasis on a different syllable, present becomes present. It's the same etymology of presence. Present yourself. Be present with your body to God, Right? Present, be present, be all there with him. You see, it's the presence of the Lord that changes us. Like the manifest, A.W. Tozer's book about the presence of God, he speaks of the manifest presence of God. God is everywhere. He's here. He's everywhere Anywhere, always. But there's an awareness. The, when we become aware of it is when we now begin to experience what's called the manifest presence of God. And as we present ourselves present with God as a living sacrifice, the sacrifice becomes something completely different than anything I would have ever thought. Because I hear the word sacrifice I immediately think I gotta die to myself, I gotta just wring myself out, I gotta pour my life out, I gotta suffer, because sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Doesn't that feel what it means? But he says living sacrifice. He doesn't say burned out, fried, exhausted, torched, alone, sad sacrifice. He says a living sacrifice. That's the language of Jesus. Living water, life, and that more abundantly. I see living sacrifice, and Lord, for years I read that, and I thought it meant more, 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 and I'm reading it with this idea of a living sacrifice, and I'm realizing that for the most of us in a Western culture, a living sacrifice actually doesn't mean more, it means less. It's not a race to see how much we can get done it's a relationship 
to see what he wants us to get done. You understand Jesus was on the earth for 30 years before he did his first miracle. How many sick people did he walk by and not heal them? How many hungry people did he walk by and not feed them? Why didn't he start when he was younger? He tells us in Luke chapter 7, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, the master only does and says what the father tells him to do and say. That's what a follower of Jesus does. He does and says what the father says to do and say. And so every day, Jesus would offer himself, offer his body as a living sacrifice, and then go do and say what the father told him to go and do and say. And he didn't say to do anything until he was 30 years old. And my point is, is that in the Christian walk, especially in a Western context, I sometimes am putting on myself the pressure and the weight to do something that not even Jesus did, which is to rush and to save them all, burn the, we burn the whole thing down, we gotta save them all. We gotta, and by the way, there's an, there's an enormous amount of suffering in the world. If you've been around this church for any length of time, you understand that, man, we're, like we are dumping money into saving and helping. And, but if that's all we do and we don't stop and be present with our Father, we're gonna burn ourselves out. That's what James talks about when he says, don't be weary in well doing. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, not a dead one. There is no, listen to me, brothers and sisters, there is nowhere in scripture that it asks you or me to lay and offer our families on the altar of ministry and sacrifice them. Now, I don't know if you've looked around, but we're a little full in here. Anybody else notice that? I bring it up because we're asking those same questions. What do we do here? Uh, the, the world would tell us, grow, grow, build something new, do three services, do four services. We'll do 20 services. Because we gotta reach them all, you know what I'm saying? It sounds good on paper. But we think about it in terms of if we're to be living sacrifices, what if what the Father is telling us to say and do is not burn out our volunteers? What if what the Father is telling us is don't torch your staff? Don't have a bunch of bodies behind the bus of conduit because we're charging the next hill? What if what he's saying for us is maybe some of us are gonna have to sit on the floor? You know, maybe... Maybe some of us are going to have to come to the 9 a.m. service. Honestly, a few of you, I want you there because you could actually juice it a little bit. We need, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, we might need to start offering gift cards for the, you know what I'm saying? We hand pick them. If you come show and just do that in the, the 9 a.m., you could goose it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of making light of it. Look, I know the parking lot's an utter disaster, okay? I get it. We're working with the county. We, there's all kinds of things happening. I understand that this is a problem. But as a living sacrifice, is it asking too much if you have to park on the grass one week? I don't know. Is it, is it okay? If, 
If the living sacrifice means that we're not gonna be burning out our staff, you're not gonna be burning out leaders. You're not gonna see another thermometer on the wall with us trying to raise another $20 million to build another thing. Is, is it okay that maybe this is what God has for us for this season and we just trust and say that this is what God has for us here? You know? You know, in the last few months, I've, I've called some of my friends and I'm kind of asking, what do we do? I mean, I'm too lazy for three services, for crying out loud. You know what I mean? It's hard. <laughs> you ever done three services? <laughs> I mean, I dug ditches as a kid. I shoveled cow poop for like half of my childhood, but this is hard work. Um, and I was seeking all this wisdom from all these people. And by the way, we have amazing elders in this church that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And some of you are sitting in this room and I'm so thankful for you. But I had to come to the conclusion that I had been seeking wisdom from a whole lot of pastors of churches that are very brilliant and very smart. But presenting my body to the Father was me asking, what does he want us to do? Not what does the pastor in Chicago want me to do? We can gain wisdom, don't get me wrong. We, and that was just my intention. But I had to realize at some point, I had to repent and I'm, I wanna repent to you. I've wasted time that didn't need to be wasted seeking wisdom from people that didn't necessarily know what we were doing here. And to say to you that I won't do that again. We're gonna to continue to seek God's face and we're gonna to continue to seek his will and listen to his voice and see what he says to do. You know, I mean, we... I mean, technically we have room. You know what I mean? There's we put chairs up here. We got places, we got, you know. <laughs> yeah, sit on the floor, there you go. Take one for the team, bro. I, I'm just saying that for our church in general, this is what we feel right now, that this is what God is saying to us. We're not going to three services. You know, will he call us to, to plant other churches? Pro probably. I mean, it won't be a, I mean, look, I, me on a satellite campus, let's all just be real honest. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> but other churches being born, the 242 groups that are happening, maybe, maybe churches will grow out of those things or, I, you know, who knows? I just know that what he wants us to do is to just keep close to him, keep listening and keep presenting ourselves to him, our bodies as a living sacrifice, because he goes on to say, that is your true act of worship. I don't wanna skip this part, by the way, because he actually says before that, holy and pleasing to God. And you know why that matters? It matters a lot because holy and pleasing to God is I don't have to make myself holy and then present myself to God. I don't have to make myself pleasing and then present myself to God. I am already holy and pleasing to God. I am presenting myself the way that he has made me. It's not about what I did. He made me holy and pleasing. I didn't make myself holy and pleasing. So as I present my body holy and pleasing, it's because of what he did. It's his sacrifice, really. So I'm just doing, handing myself back to him. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. And I say that, and I'm gonna, this is the last thing I'm gonna say about this, and that is that whatever you're offering your body to, whatever you are presenting your body to, is what you are worshiping. That's the definition of worship. Present your body, that is your act of worship. Now, if I'm offering it to food, if I'm offering it to sexual appetites, if I'm offering it to Netflix, like 
and you, when I say offering, when I say presenting, what I mean is that is like, that's my thing. Like, I can't go a day without this thing, and I can't go without more, like multiple times a day maybe for this thing. Whatever I'm presenting my life to, right, that's what I'm worshiping. And I wanted to bring that up because whatever I'm worshiping, I'm going to look like, I'm going to be marked by it. When you look at Revelation, when the, the 666 thing comes, and I know it makes for really scary movies and all that stuff, um, but six is the number of man. And, and whatever else it means in Revelation, here's what I know it means. I am marked by what I worship. Those who received that mark were worshiping humanism. They're worshiping the enemy. They're worshiping man. They were marked by man. They begin to look more like Romans 1 and less like Romans 12. And if we'll worship him by offering ourselves to him, that's our true act of worship. Present myself, be present with him on a daily basis. Here in our church family, home in your families, that is your act of worship. And the more you do that, you're going to be shaped and look like him. And that's what is holy and pleasing to him is that you in doing so are now going to be no longer marked by the pattern of this world, but renewed, right? Transformed, I'm sorry, by the renewing of your mind. If I bring my body into this, my mind will eventually catch up to it. You remember that uh, the, the parable that Jesus told about where your treasure is, right? There your heart will be also. How many times have we said where your heart is, there your treasure will be also? That's how it's normally quoted, but that's not what he said. It's this idea that if I bring my body here first, my heart will follow. If I bring my treasure here, my heart will follow. If I bring my presence into his presence, my mind will follow. And that's where the renewal of a mind begins, is in his presence, in his word, in his presence together, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And look, you may or may not know this, but there is a competition for your presence. A competition to put the pattern, he talks about the pattern of this world, on you. There's a book that was released just this week. A guy named Jared Ward. It's called The Loop. And Jared, and by the way, I'm going to save you like 20 bucks. I'm about, I'm about to tell you in like five minutes what the whole book was. Um, if, you know what I mean? Sometimes you get that book, you realize that guy was just trying to get a 60,000 words in for his publisher. You could have done that in a 20-minute TED Talk. But... Um, this book is based on this idea that inside our brain is this loop. In your mind is a loop. We call it a story. We call it a, you know, whatever lies you're believing. There's all kinds of words. He's calling it a loop. And, uh, and I actually, I'm just going to quote to you from a, uh, a piece in the, in the Washington Post that was just a review of the book because he, he does just a good job of summing up this. But I wanted you to hear this, that this book argues that capitalistic AI technologies prey on our psychological frailties and threaten to create a world in which our choices are narrowed, human agency is limited, and our worst unconscious impulses dominate society. You could also just say Romans 1. He goes on to say in this review that the titular loop that Ward warns his readers about is rooted in the power, predictability, and stupidity of our unconscious minds. 
When humans make decisions, our brains are quick to take shortcuts. In doing so, we make predictable, systematic errors, such as, listen to this one, miscalculating risk, <laughs> over-trusting authority. Technology companies, Ward argues, to use algorithms to hijack these unconscious, listen to this word, phrase, patterns for profit. Patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. There are companies, there are uh, corporations, there are, I know, big, 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 big surprise, politicians who want to hijack your story to craft it into what they, their view of the world is. They're competing with you to get the pattern of the world that they have in mind for you. And by the way, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't necessarily think there's some cabal back there, you know, Dr. Evil. Like, this, is, this is a capitalism. This is how they make money. In the olden days, the way that they tried to get you to conform to the pattern of this world was they dropped the Sears wish book, dream book, whatever, and they just carpet bombed the whole country and a bunch of kids like, took markers and circled stuff that they wanted for Christmas. That's how they used to do it. It's just more effective now because they can see what you've been looking at and say that, you know, you know, Darren likes this or Darren, you know, Darren talked about hokas and suddenly I got hokas on all of my, you know, ads on the thing, you know. Like, there's just a system in place to the pattern of this world. I'm not 100% sure that it is anything nefarious. What I am saying is that because of the Romans' one condition of all of humanity, this methodology ends poorly. And they're doing it in a way that is subconscious. And I'll take it a step further that there are some companies... Well, I guess I'll say it out loud. That are intentionally doing this now when it comes to search. Did you do you know that like if you if I Google, some of you might get a little wound up, but hang on. If I Google ivermectin, the first few links that are going to come up are like horse dewormer. Don't use this. Don't you know? That's all. This is all. This is a page of that. And some of you technology guys could correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I've read three different pieces, and I've, from as best I can tell, and I know Chess, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, that the only uh, browser that I'm aware of right now that does not use Google as its underlying search platform is a browser called Brave. I might be wrong, but what I, two, two different pieces I read that even DuckDuckGo uses Google for their search. Underlying, they don't track your stuff, so they don't, you know they don't know what you're searching for, uh, for free Britney or whatever. But they they're not tracking that. Do you know what I'm saying? Not other people, of course, but um, but they're still using Google as the underlying methodology for this. Have I lost anybody yet? By the way, so if you search ivermectin on Brave without using the Google technology for crawling the web, you're going to see. You know, CDC, you're going to see some uses of it for malaria. You're going to see some uses of it for this. But you don't see horse dewormer in like the first three pages. And my point is, is that whoever has created an algorithm that tells you it's not God, like it's not some magic thing. Some programmers in some room somewhere have programmed an algorithm that decide what is going to be shown and what is not going to be shown. 
right? That is a full-blown assault on you and the pattern of this world to conform you to the pattern of this world. And you don't even know it. You sit and watch your little Netflix thing and what's it saying? Watch this next one. And it's just trying to conform you again to the pattern of this world. There's a competition. I don't say any of that for any shame. I say it to say that you gotta be aware. Be, don't be naive, right, of the plans of the enemy in your life and the competition for you to conform you to the pattern of this world. And listen, when, the, when you've got transformation on the table, why would you ever settle for conforming to a pattern of this world? Because it is God's pleasure. It's his mercy and his pleasure. Luke uh, 13, maybe, says that it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's his pleasure. His pleasure is for you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because he wants to give you the kingdom, not the brick kiln. He brought you out of a brick kiln. Put the brick down from your brain. And he goes on to say this. He goes on to say in verse, it's actually Luke 12, 32. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. He goes on to say this after being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That God's mercy, God's pleasure, and he wants you to live in his will, God's will. And then you will know what his will is for your life, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. The gospel has 100% saved you from your sins. What Christ did 100% is set you free from slavery to sin. And now what he wants you to do, what he wants to do from you, is to set your mind free from the slavery that you no longer live in. I'll say it again. You don't have a self-discipline problem. You have an identity problem. Keep going back into his presence and allowing that to build who your identity is. Because the next few verses, then you will know what his will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will. He goes into these seven gifts of the spirit. And we're gonna spend the next two weeks talking about those. Because his will is not what you are gonna do. His will is who are you gonna become? He wants you to become a child of God, a brother of Christ, righteousness of God in Christ, new creature, old things, passed away. All that stuff is yours. And these seven gifts are a part of that. And I'm not going to talk about them this morning because we, we don't have time. I do, I'm about to do something that's super awkward for me, and I want you to know, acknowledge the awkwardness together. I spent the last 10 years, these seven gifts just jumped off at me. And I'm like, wait, this is almost like God put a personality profile like right in scripture. And the, the difference of this between Myers-Briggs and DISC and Enneagram, all that, those are all about who you are, what you get out of it. And, and all they are is trying to reverse engineer what the Holy Spirit did 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came. Because these seven gifts here are not about what you get. 
They're about what you give. That's what these seven gifts are. And so we, we actually got the books here today if you want to read it this week. It's actually a pretty easy read. And I want to say this too, if you don't have the money for it, look, I grew up without, I didn't have options and sometimes people bought books for me and it was the only way I was able to get something. I want you to hear me say this and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you don't have the money for it, I don't care, take one. But if you want to take one with you today, they're going to be in the back. I think my son, you'll know, is he doesn't have Chick-fil-A training yet, so he's not quite going to be at your pleasure, but he's getting there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he's, he's getting there. <laughs> he's going to look good while he's doing it. Um, I just wanted to tell you, you can take that with you, but no pressure, no nothing. I'm not here to, I'm literally, uh, you don't have to take any of them with you for that matter. I just want you to, that's available, and I'm going to spend two weeks teaching on it, uh, so you don't have to read it at all for that matter, because we'll teach through it for two weeks, so I just want to make that available to you. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. We've gone seven minutes over, so send my apologies to Joey. So Heavenly Father, thank you. In light of your mercy, Lord, in those moments where I've tried to live a different way, I've just lost sight of your mercy. Keep me in full view of your mercy this week that I might live as you have called me, as you have created me, and set me free to live. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.